Jesus Christ is Lord. The most moving thing about Christianity is what you just observed. Today is the culmination of what Jesus prepared for some 6,000 years ago when Adam and Eve were first created and sin entered into the world. Everything that you've seen this morning is believed to the core by those of us that know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Folks, this is what it's all about this morning. The culmination of everything that Jesus prepared for, the culmination of Christ's love for each and every one of you this morning is all based on what the resurrection means to us. For those of you that are here and visiting, maybe some that have been coming for some time, I want to make it very clear. This is not an anomaly Sunday for us. This is a Sunday that is the culmination of everything that we believe in. It's a 365-day-a-year, 12 months. Every single day, every single hour, every single minute of our lives, those of us that placed our faith and trust in Christ, everything revolves around this. Now, where we're getting the technology up, I'm going to say this as a little preface. Some of you know that I was in law enforcement for 32 years, politics for way too long. And uh, you're like, well, what are you doing in a pulpit? Well, I've also got 40 years of ministry, a couple of earned doctorates in theology. And uh, might I say this, none of those things secular mean one bit to me compared to what God's word means to me. This isn't a fly-by-night church. It's not a fly-by-night Christianity. This is a lifestyle, folks. And it means everything to those who have embraced and understand who Jesus Christ is. This morning, we're going to be looking at the wonderful topic of He is risen, as He said. Now, for those that may be new to us, and I and uh, many of our folks, of course, they're here every week, they hear many of these things, but I have to set the context for what we're looking at this morning. In the Bible, God's Word, there are approximately one thousand prophecies. The last video you just walked, talked about, or watched revealed that Jesus fulfilled many of the prophecies that are contained in this book. There are 300, 351 promises, fulfillments, prophecies that Christ fulfilled when he came at his first advent. 351. Now just ask yourself, what are the chances of that happening? What are the chances of somebody guessing 351 times and coming up with the exact scenario that would happen sometimes as much as a couple of thousand years later? Every single one. The other of the first 500 of those 1,000 prophecies have all come to pass exactly as stated. That's pretty authoritative. There's no other book on earth. There's no other quote-unquote prophet or seer that could anywhere near come up with what this book has proven to be true. You say, well, wait a minute, you said there's a thousand prophecies, 500 have come to pass exactly as stated. What about the other 500? Well, we're going to be examining at the end a little bit about that. There's 500 things that God said is going to take place, and they're all in this book. You see, most folks, when they come to church, especially maybe if a, a church is not something you enjoy doing every week, I trust it will become that way after today, and we'll see you again. But here's the thing. Most people look at the Bible, and they look at Christmas, they look at Easter, and that's about as far as their biblical knowledge goes. But when you understand that in these 66 books of this one book called the Bible, it talks exactly about the future. It talks about where you will spend eternity. It talks about how you can know for sure where you'll spend eternity. It literally talks about and we're not going to go there, but in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, it talks about the political issues that will be taking place in the last days of the church age as well as into the future. So many things that God's revealed to us. 500 more prophecies will come to pass exactly as stated. That's an unblemished, perfect record that nothing else in this entire world can match up to. Well, when we 
begin to examine these things and we look at the resurrection of Christ. Again, 351 prophecies came to fulfillment when Jesus was on earth that short period of time. The ultimate fulfillment was, of course, the resurrection of Christ, which we want to look at and enjoy this morning. But just for a moment, let me take you back to three days before the greatest event of all times took place, the resurrection. As some of the music this morning pointed to, the Savior, the suffering Savior who would leave heaven's glory, God himself, one of the three members of the sacred trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus himself descends from heaven, goes to some 33 years on this earth, and finally the culmination of that life, 33 years later, he's arrested for a crime he did not commit. The Jews, many of them, and again, I love the Jewish people. This isn't a slam on my Jewish friends, of which I have many. But the Jewish leadership at that time, they hated Jesus because he came in and basically they were afraid to death that he was going to attempt to take over what they had established. So the triumphal entry, which we basically would have celebrated one week ago when Jesus comes into Jerusalem. Do you remember how it went? He comes in, the people are excited, they're throwing down palm branches, they're taking off garments, throwing them in the way, so that the king, Jesus, could make his way into Jerusalem. But that was very short-lived. Jesus comes in to a celebration. First thing he does, he goes to the temple, the Jewish temple. And if you recall the account, I never call it a story, it's an account because these things are absolutely true, documented truth. Jesus goes into the temple where you would think this is going to be a wonderful time. The teacher here is here. What does he do? He throws a fit. He goes around and starts overturning tables. He starts throwing, getting uh, uh, the, the, if you will, the people charging exorbitant interest rates and trying to sell animals for the sacrifice and he says, you have made my house a den of thieves. That did not go over well with the Jewish leadership. In fact, they absolutely conspired to kill him because he wasn't doing what their religion said was proper. Jesus then becomes not only the one that the leadership was against, but they spread that damaging thought to the Jewish people to the point where he would end up on that cross. Six illegal trials that Jesus went through. Three from the Romans, three from the Jewish leadership. Every single one illegal, every single one with a wrong outcome. And you say, well, why did God allow him to go through six illegal trials? Because Jesus had to go to the cross. That's been predetermined for thousands of years. And even though uh, uh, he was charged with sedition, which wasn't true, a, a charge punishable by death through the Romans, he didn't commit sedition. Where did Jesus say his kingdom was? Here on earth? He said it's in heaven. Now, by the way, and this gets into Revelation, which we're not going to go to today, there will be a kingdom on earth someday. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom will be here someday. Revelation 20 verses 1 to 7 tells us about that. So he will have a kingdom on earth, but it wasn't at that point. He came to suffer. He came to die. He came to give his life. And he came to be resurrected. If you recall, they took Jesus' body down from the cross. They put it inside of the tomb I think this one is a little exaggerated compared to the size that it would have been, but it sets the stage for what was taking place after they crucified Jesus and put him in the tomb. The soldiers are told to go stand in front of it and to guard it. In a few minutes, we're going to get to this issue. It's amazing that the Jewish people were concerned about the resurrection of Christ taking place we're actually going to see something that I find very interesting, that God's people were actually doubting more than, the Jew, than those that were against Christ. Keep that in mind. We'll get there in just a moment. Well, let me ask you a few things as we get into the resurrection this morning. 
Have you ever been in the depths of despair crying out for deliverance? Here we're going to see that the, uh, the disciples of Jesus, those that loved him and cared about him, they go to the cross and what happens? They are devastated. Their ruler, their king, they're the one that they were putting, if you will, all their stock into to save them from the tyranny of the Romans. All of a sudden is on a cross and he's dying. Now, folks, many of you are here this morning. You're going through tough times. And you're trying to figure out, how am I going to make it through tomorrow? How am I going to make it through my marriage? How am I going to make it through my job situation? How am I going to make it with people that are sick? Or maybe you're sick yourself. And you're looking for this deliverance, and you're looking for some hope. But maybe you've not found it yet. We're going to tell you where to get it this morning. Where do you look for strength and comfort when you face difficulties? When you're going through the challenges of life, and, and, and again, this is this scenario that we're going to be looking at, what took place at the cross. The people that loved and appreciated and really were involved with who Christ was, they were devastated. Their world crashed the day that Jesus was crucified. Well, let me ask you this question. What is the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to you? This morning, what we'll look at over the next few minutes is we will examine the victorious resurrection of Jesus Christ and how it provided the exclusive, and I might say that again, the exclusive path for eternal life for you. You should have the outline in your bulletin. Uh, if you look at that, it might help you, or you can review it at a later time. But we're going to go through this now, and we're going to look at what took place on the greatest day of all times, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're looking at, as we kind of already set, when we looked at the triumphal entry of Christ a week ago before Resurrection Sunday, we look at the tragic death, and now we culminate everything that took place this week with his victorious resurrection. We'll be in Matthew chapter 28. Now, after the Sabbath, and of course the Sabbath, uh, if you're not familiar with it, the Jewish Sabbath started at Friday night at sundown and went to Saturday night, if you will, at sundown, and then Saturday night began the first day of the week. So now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week, now this is important, why aren't we meeting on the Sabbath and why do God's people, Christians, meet on Sunday? Well, it's because it's the first day of the week. And because of the resurrection of Christ, it's why we gather on Sunday, mainly Sunday mornings, sometimes other times, different places, different churches, different times during Sunday to celebrate and remember Christ and to learn his word. So we have the first day of the week. It's early Sunday morning. It's just a hair after dawn, and what takes place? Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Now, if you recall what had taken place, if you know the account of uh, uh, the, the Gospels, these ladies are beside themselves. Their wonderful friend, the one that they looked to as the Messiah, was tragically placed on this cross. Might I say, they didn't understand at this point what had taken place. Did you get that? These are individuals who are believers in Jesus, yet they did not understand. We'll show you the verses in a couple moments. They didn't get it. They didn't understand why would he have to go to this cross? Why did he have to die? And they left it there. At this point, there is no hope of the resurrection. Let's see that. Well, let's move forward. Verse 2, Matthew 28. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. So now we have Sunday morning. This angel appears. A massive earthquake takes place, and this stone, the large stone, I'm sure a very heavy stone, is moved out of the way. Well, why would this take place? Verse 3, his countenance or that of the angel was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Now, folks, let's get honest here. Let's try and put ourselves right here, right at this particular place. And here you've got the Roman soldiers, the tough guys. 
I mean, these guys had their act together. They were disciplined. They were strong. They were, uh, I mean, horrible fighters, good fighters, but horrible meaning very violent, horrible type outcomes with the way they would kill people, including crucifixion. And here you've got these, if you will, men's men who are standing by the tomb and all of a sudden an angel appears to them and these guys basically are scared to death. Now, folks, think about that. Put yourself there. Put yourself at a tomb, which is not usually a place when we think of cemeteries and tombs. It's not a place most of us like to frequent unless maybe to visit someone that you want to remember. And all of a sudden, this massive earthquake takes place, and these men are extremely fearful and are so afraid that they become like dead men. Verse 5, But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, every time you have an appearance of angelic beings and so forth, it always starts the same. Don't be afraid. It's okay. And quite frankly, if I was out there seeing this, I think I would need an angel to say, it's okay, don't be afraid. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to hurt you. It's all good. And that's exactly what took place. He's trying to calm down these ladies who are at the low point of their life. But the angel answered and said to the woman, don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was what? He was crucified. He was killed. He's dead, and I know that you're seeking him. Now, what's interesting here is what did these ladies expect to see when they got to the tomb? What were they looking for? They were looking for his body. Wait a second. Jesus had told them multiple times in the Gospels that I'm going to Jerusalem to be killed, to be crucified, but he would also tell them about the resurrection to come. These ladies didn't get it at this point. In fact, all of his disciples did not get it at this point. Well, let me take you to a different book to explain this. We're going to the Gospel of John chapter 20, and we get a little bit different account. It's the same thing, but God used the Gospel writers to give different insights into what took place on what we call this Passion Week. So the Apostle John writes this, And on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. And again, who's writing this book? John, we talked about this last week. John, many times in his gospel, talks about the disciple whom Jesus loved. Who is John talking about? Himself. And I like to say that, you know, every person that truly knows Christ as their personal Savior, do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that Jesus loves you? Of course you do. And John, and of course under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is making it clear, Jesus loves me. I'm the one. I'm the one that Jesus really loves. Well, he loves everybody, but John had, of course, that uh, personal understanding as well. So uh, what happens? Uh, Then she ran and came to Simon Peter And to the other disciple, John, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Excuse me, Mary. Why did you come looking for Jesus' body when he told you he wouldn't be here? Why did we come looking for Jesus when he should be resurrected? Why are you in grief? Why is your heart broken? She didn't yet understand. She didn't understand the promised resurrection that Jesus had told them about. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other other disciple outran Peter, John being very humble at this point, apparently he was faster than Peter, and, and came to the tomb first. And he stooping down and looking in saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he didn't go in. So here we have, we've got this race taking place. They want to see where Jesus is. Where's his body? Where, where did they take him? What's going on? Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. All of a sudden, Peter 
who got in a lot of trouble, by the way, if you read through the Gospels, all of a sudden it's starting to dawn on him, wait a minute, why, why are these clothes here? Why are the things that they wrapped Jesus in after his death, why, why, why are these things sitting here? Why are they folded up? Something isn't right here. And all of a sudden, things start to click within Peter's mind. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw, and what did he do? He believed. All of a sudden, it dawns on them that at dawn, Jesus is not in the tomb. Well, where is he? What did he believe in? Folks, let me ask you that question. Are you here hoping, hoping for an eternity in heaven someday? Hoping. Are are you here uh, uh, like uh, Peter and John and they came in and they were hoping for a good outcome? But up to this point, all they could see was a bad outcome. They were hoping, they were hoping that Jesus was the Messiah. They were hoping that he would deliver them from the Roman tyranny. They were hoping hoping that he would set up his earthly kingdom, but that's not what happened. Instead, because they didn't understand Isaiah 53, written 700 years before Christ, that Jesus Christ had to come into this world and suffer as no person ever suffered before to pay for the sins of all people. But it didn't dawn on them yet. For as yet, and here it is, here it is, black and white, for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. They, they had been told that they had sat, if you will, and listened to Jesus talk about him himself. He had made it perfectly clear throughout the scripture, meaning the Old Testament scriptures, the prophets, that perfectly made it clear that the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, would come into this world, that one day, according to Isaiah 53, he would suffer, that he would be taken like a lamb to the slaughter, like a Passover lamb. His blood would be spilled. His life would be given once and one time for all to pay for all the sins of humankind. One time. Why did they have the Old Testament sacrifices? To cover, to cover, not to pay for, to cover sin until the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ, would come. But yet they did not know the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Do you believe? Do you believe? Some of you here this morning, you're hoping. You're like the Marys who came. And as we'll continue the account in just a moment, you may be like some of the disciples. You may be a Thomas that says, listen, I knew Jesus. Maybe you've gone to Sunday school. Maybe you've gone to catechisms. Maybe you've gone to religious classes. Maybe you've gone to church and you are still wondering and you are still like the Marys and others that What does all this mean? You see, here's where it really gets down. Can we be real for a couple moments, please? Let me ask you this very personal question, and only you can answer it. And this is between, this is not meant to be for a response. You have to think through this one. If you were to die today, if today would be the last day that you would breathe a breath, where are you going? Are you truly going to a better place or someplace that we hate to talk about and that's politically incorrect called the lake of fire hell? You say, whoa, wait a second, wait a second. I thought in churches today we don't talk about that anymore. I thought politics said you can't tell the truth about hell and the lake of fire anymore. Well, maybe the political world says that, but God didn't. You see, the Bible still is very clear. The Bible hasn't changed. God's word hasn't changed. And every single person that dies without Jesus Christ, they face what Revelation 21.8 calls the lake which burns with fire and brimstone and will burn forever and ever and ever. You see, folks, that's why we have church, one of the many reasons why. Because there's people in this room right now, and I don't know who you are, but you know who you are. 
And when I ask that question, if he died right now, do you know for sure that you go to heaven? You're like, man, I sure don't know the answer to that. I wish I, I, I've tried. I think I'm going to get there. I, I try to do the best I can. I've, I've done as much good as I think I can. I'm better than most people. And God says, not interested in what you've done. I'm only interested in one thing. Do you believe? Most of you know that precious verse, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, each one of us, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes in him, in what? His death, his burial, and his resurrection should not perish or go to hell or the lake of fire, but have everlasting life. Well, let's continue. We have Marys. We have disciples that are coming to the tomb trying to figure this thing out. These are the people that spent the most time with Jesus. These in our vernacular would be the churchy folks, <laughs> the folks that have, uh, I mean, they don't miss a Sunday. They're, with, they're, they're trying to learn the Bible. They're trying to do things right. And here were those people. And that's why on, on resurrection morning, on, on a Sunday like Easter, it's like, listen, you're here. You're here because, yeah, I, I believe, but I'm not sure what that belief gets me. Let's take a look at what those who hated Jesus thought about the resurrection before it happened. Matthew 27, different book again. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, this is the day of preparation for the Sabbath, the chief priests and Pharisees, all Jewish leadership, gathered together to Pilate. Now, Pilate was not Jewish leadership. He was Roman leadership, saying, Sir, so they come to the government, the Jewish people, which were, were very, very uh, orchestrated, they come to the Roman government and they're like, listen, as Jewish people, we could not crucify Jesus because our law won't, or the Roman law would not allow us to. So they begged Pilate at one point to kill the crucify Jesus. Did he obey and do what the Jews wanted? Absolutely. Okay? So he ends up at the cross. Now the Jewish people said, listen, we know the scriptures. The Pharisees knew the scriptures. And what did they say to Pilate? Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that, what's the next word? Deceiver. Oh, this was a crooked guy. He was a false teacher. Well, no, he wasn't. But to them he was. What did, he, what did they hear? That Jesus said this. After three days, I will what? I'm going to rise. Now, wait a second. It's like, how, and the only word that comes to mind, how weird is that? The believers in Jesus, the followers of Jesus, the ones that wanted to proclaim him as the Messiah, they didn't get what these people got. These are the ones that were begging Pilate to kill Jesus and they listen to what Jesus said. And what do they say? Hey, Pilate, please, would you do us a favor? That Jesus, that deceiver, he tried to hoodwink everybody. And this business about three days later, he's going to rise from the dead. We need to make sure that that scenario does not take place. So what takes place? Verse 64, Matthew 27, therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Now, they didn't believe in a resurrection, but they're like, ah, we know those sneaky Christians. They're going to pull something. So here's what they thought. Lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. Wow. How come they got it and the folks that spent time in church didn't? How come the unbelievers got it and the churchy people, the synagogue people, the folks that spent time with Jesus didn't get it? You ever think about that? I think it's an amazing thought. Here he is, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Savior himself, the Messiah himself, told them exactly what was going to happen. And yet those from outside said, yeah, we get it. Let's make sure it doesn't happen. 
And other people came to the tomb. They're bawling their eyes out. They're crying. They're hysterical. Our hope is gone. Our life is messed up. We'll never be able to move forward because they did not understand. Verse 65, Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Now, folks, here's what Roman law said. Now, why these soldiers are there, and they're given an assignment, and they said, listen, you secure that tomb, and you put up, if you will, a way to seal that tomb. Now, here's the way it was going to go down for the Roman soldiers. If you let him go, if somehow the disciples or anyone else are able to get in there, pull that tomb down, the stone down, break the seal, and get to that body, do you know what the penalty to those Roman soldiers should have been? death. There's no joke. I mean, this is serious business. Their life was on the line to make sure Jesus didn't get out of that tomb. Well, that's right. Well, what does happen? Well, let's move forward. Matthew 28 again, verse 6. The angel comes down. The tombstone is moved away. The earthquake takes place. We have Peter and John that go in and see that the garments are gone. And finally, the announcement Finally, the culmination of the entire Passion Week is about to take place. The angel is there. He has their attention. And what does he say? He is not here, for he is risen as he said. He is risen as he said. Come. Come on. Come on in. See the place where the Lord lay. Take a look. Is he here? No, he's not here. Are those grave clothes there? Yes, they're there. Where is he? Where is he gone? Well, he's not here. Nobody stole his body. Nobody could take Jesus' body. Jesus willingly left his body on that cross. Jesus willingly gave his life to pay for our sins. Jesus willingly went to the tomb his body for three days. Then God raised up Jesus, and he is not here. Folks, take a look at that cross. He's not on the cross. He's not in the tomb. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and lives today at the right hand of God Almighty, seated at his throne. He's alive. Mary, he's alive. Disciples, he's alive. Christian, he is alive. And that's what we dedicate our life to. Come see the place where the Lord lay. The demand of the angel now. Listen, here's what I want you to do. Now that you get, do you get it now? Hey, ladies, do you get it? Uh, uh, disciples, do you get it? Go, the angel says, tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Folks, can I share that same message with you? Why are you in church today? Why do we come on Resurrection Sunday? Because once again we have to proclaim, we have to make the message known that Jesus Christ is indeed risen from the dead. And now he says, listen, I want you to go see him. You're like, what? So we're going to document that he's actually alive because we're going to get to see him? He's like, you betcha. And he says, and indeed, he, Jesus, is going before you into Galilee. Now, that's about 95 miles north of where they were at that point. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. Fear. Why fear? Wait a second. How many times have you had an uh, encounter with Jesus? How many times have you had an encounter with an angel? How many times have you watched the tomb being opened up by a great earthquake? Yeah, man, this is, this is awe-inspiring. But yet, what did they do? Great joy. Listen, if you're here this morning, is your joy there? Are you a happy individual? Is life good? He said, well, Easter's a great time. We get together. We have family events. We eat, we eat food. We talk to friends. It's a wonderful time, but it's a whole lot deeper. Joy doesn't just come from being with all the folks here this morning. Well, it's a great time. 
And I'm happy. I hope you are. But some of you are sad inside. Some of you are hurting inside. Some of you are wondering inside, is this truly the Messiah? Was he truly the one who came to pay for the sins of all mankind? Well, let's take a look at a couple last things. The awesome encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Now, there's many, many different appearances that the scriptures tell us about. I was going to give the list today, but it would just be way too long. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people saw the resurrected Christ. Here's one of those first events. They see Jesus. Listen, folks, they watched him on the cross. They watched him as he died. They watched him as his body was literally massacred by the scourging that he had taken place. They watched him as he was on the cross and the spear was jammed up into his heart. They watched him die. They knew he had died and now all of a sudden here he is. Is it really him? Is it really Jesus? Yes, it is. Because he is risen just as he said. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. There it is again. Are you afraid this morning? Are you close? Some of you here, you may be horribly sick with a terrible disease or cancer or other things that your life hangs in the balance. I've so often said this, and because we have a lot of new folks here today, I've gone to the hospital beds of many people, including my parents. And I've watched as many of them are literally, there's no responsiveness to them, but they knew Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And in those last moments, the last few breaths before they leave this world, so many times I've watched, and again, this is experience-oriented, and I don't like to go on experience, but I've seen it. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, they'll come alive, if you will, for a few seconds, a few, maybe a minute or two. All of a sudden, they begin to look up a little bit. Most of the time, a smile comes on the face, the eyes open, they look up just a hair. It's always the same. Sometimes they utter a couple of phrases, most of the time not. All of a sudden, the eyes close, and they enter into the eternity with the Lord. That's a Christian. Where are you going when you die? What happens to those who die without Jesus Christ? Fear. Sometimes agony on their beds not knowing where they're going to be spending eternity in those last few moments, all of a sudden the fear becomes overwhelming and insurmountable. And the good news is many times if I'm in the room or uh, able to communicate with someone at that last moment, all of a sudden they start to realize, just like these people did here at the tomb, that this is no joke, my life is about to end. Where am I going to spend eternity? And every single time, Here's what I say. My dear friend, let me tell you how to be peaceful at this very moment. Number one, the Bible tells us, and I go right through what's known as the gospel. I tell them this. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that we've all sinned to come short of the glory of God. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Do you understand that you're a sinner? Yes. The Bible also tells us in Romans 6.23 that because we've sinned, if we got what we deserve, the wages of our sin is death. Now that death just just does not mean spirit or physical death, but spiritual death as well. That means that the moment you pass away, yes, you will die physically, but there's also what's known as a second death. Now folks, I'm not making this up. We'll prove it from the Bible in just a second. But I say there's a second death. What is the second death? Well, Revelation chapter 21 verse says this. The second death, and and it goes through a list of sins, and it says, shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Revelation 21.8, black and white. 
You mean there's two deaths you can experience? Yes, one physical, one spiritual. And as we go to the next two points, two more points, and that's it. You're a sinner, you don't deserve heaven, but Jesus Christ did what? Jesus Christ did this. He came down from heaven, went to that cross willingly, willingly gave his life, was crucified to the point of death, was buried for three days, and rose again from the dead. Do you believe that? Yes. Well, let me tell you the final fourth thing. And folks, if you're here this morning, every single one in this room knew those first three things, that you're a sinner, that you don't deserve heaven, and that Jesus Christ went to that cross, was buried, and was resurrected. But you know what? That's not going to get you to heaven. You say, what? Well, what is? What do I have to do? (laughs) Nothing. You say, what do you mean nothing? There's one thing and one thing only that you can do to get to heaven. I'm going to give you a Bible. This isn't something we made up. This is Bible. We say these two verses often, and we gave one, John 3, 16, a few minutes ago about God's promise to those who will place their faith and trust in Christ. Listen carefully now. This is God's promise to you. Just like the Marys, just like the disciples who were like, what is truth? What is truth? How do we know? Well, here it is. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace. What is grace? Grace is a free, unmerited gift. We watched this morning as multiple people were given a gift. Actually, two gifts. Uh, but the, we're going to talk about one specific gift in a moment. What did they do? We're like, here, we'd like to give you this uh, uh, a pen and, and set. We'd like to give you this book. How did they get it? How much did they have to pay for it? Zero. What did they have to do to get it? One thing only. Reach out their hand and say, sure, we'll take that. And that was it. For by grace, God's free and merited love. For by grace are you, catch the word now, saved. What does save mean? It means saved from your sin, saved from the penalty of sin. For by grace are you saved through faith. You say, wait a minute, faith? I thought I had to work. I thought I had to do things. And Jesus said, nope, you've got to believe. Just like the Marys finally believed. Just like the disciples finally believed. Just like thousands and thousands and hundreds and thousands of people, millions of people have done over the years since Jesus died and rose again, just like folks in this room this morning, many, all of a sudden it's like, will you believe on what Jesus did? You see, that's why Easter, this is just a culmination for those of us that know and love Christ. Because the resurrection is everything. For by grace are you saved through faith. What is faith? Faith, according to Hebrews, is believing in that which you haven't seen. You haven't seen Jesus. You haven't seen the cross. You haven't seen the resurrection. It's by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and it is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of your works. Lest any man or woman should boast, then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there there they will see me. Jesus begins his trek 95 miles north from Judea where Jerusalem was all the way up to the Sea of Galilee where he would meet with his disciples and prove once again who he was to them and many others. John 21 verifies that Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Now, if you're a geography expert, The Sea of Tiberias is the exact same as Lake Kinneret or the Sea of Galilee, and that's exactly where Jesus was, just as he said. My dear friend, have you seen Jesus through his written word this morning? You're here. In a few moments, we'll be dismissed. You'll go your separate ways. You're going to hopefully have a wonderful day with family and friends. How about making this the best day of your life? How about making this the most glorious, wonderful day that you've ever had on this earth? Now, for many of you, you've already had it when you placed your faith and trust in the risen Savior. But there's some here this morning. Again, I have no idea who you are. The risen Savior hasn't, I don't yet understand. I hope you understand this morning how simple it is, how wonderful it is, how awesome it is. Have you seen Jesus through his written word this morning? 
And I ask you this final question. What will you do with the resurrected Jesus this morning? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you place your faith and trust in him in the past. This isn't a one hour a week deal. It's not a one day a year deal. This is a 365 days a year kind of deal. It's 365 days a year where our lives are centered around Christ. They're centered around the Lord. They're centered around a lifestyle that's pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those of us that have already placed our faith in Christ, this is a 365-day deal. Folks, would we go out there and like a mighty armory of God's people, look at this place this morning, packed out, chairs in the back. Why? Because Jesus means something to you, doesn't he? Let's keep it up. Let's not make it one day a year. Let's make it every single day. Let's keep it going. And folks, by the way, those visiting, this place is usually close to filled on Sunday morning in the last year. Why? Because God's people love people. God's people are here to help you this morning if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ. Let's close with this. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 says this. The Apostle Paul said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And by the way, folks, you say, well, pastor, are you a sinner? You betcha I'm a sinner. Every person is a sinner. But when I was a teenager, all of a sudden I realized, just like I hope some in this room are this morning, that it's time to stop trying to get to heaven on my own. It's time to realize that Jesus not only was crucified, Jesus was not only buried, Jesus was not only put in the ground for three days, but on the third day, Jesus is risen just as he said. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that as we marvel in the wonderful, wonderful grace of Jesus, Father, thank you for the resurrection. Thank you that Jesus is alive and well. Thank you that one day those of us who have placed our faith in Christ will spend eternity with him. What a glorious, wonderful thought that is. If you're here this morning and you know the Lord Jesus is your personal Savior, wow, would you just renew your love for him this morning? Would you just like uh, the disciples and like the Mary say, ah, boy, it, sometimes uh, uh, it's tough on this earth. Sometimes uh, my life is filled with struggles and hardships. Would you just look to the Lord this morning, renew your love for him, renew your relationship with him, spend time in the word of God this week, spend time in prayer this week, Spend time relishing who Jesus Christ is, that indeed he has risen just as he said. For those watching on the internet this morning, maybe you're in the auditorium right now or sitting out in the lobby. If you were to die right now, where would you go? You say, oh, Brother Rich, i got to be honest. When I walked in here, I couldn't answer that question. I'm hoping I would go to heaven, but I didn't know. But we want to give you that final opportunity before we dismiss you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, you've never received that free gift of eternal life, how about receiving it this morning? How about changing everything for you for eternity this morning? You say, again, what do I need to do? Very simply, do you believe? You say, well, again, what, is, what do I need to believe? Number one, you understand you're a sinner. You say, yes. Do you understand that because you sinned, you don't deserve to go to heaven? Yes, I understand that. You believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, died on the cross for your sins, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead. Do you honestly, truly believe that? You say, yes, I do. Well, then all that's left is that one thing that so many people miss. It's to receive that free gift. Would you reach out to the Lord right now and accept that free gift? By faith, that's all it is, by faith, trusting, your, trusting what Jesus did for you. Again, get that promise, for God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, on that cross. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever, if you will believe in him, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, you shall not perish and go to hell, but have everlasting life. Would you receive that free gift by faith this very moment? Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. I'm going to pray in just a minute. But I'd like to invite you to make that decision for Christ. 
I'm going to ask you to do one thing and one thing only. I promise nothing else. If you say this morning, Brother Rich, that's me. When I walked in here, I wasn't sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. But I want to receive that free gift this morning. Again, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to get up. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but I would like to pray for you. Nobody's looking about. Slip your hand up nice and high. This morning, I'm trusting Christ. God bless you. Someone else this morning. God bless you. Someone else. I'm trusting Christ this morning. Nice and high. Stick it up nice and high, and I'll be happy to pray for you as well. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else this morning? I'm trusting Jesus Christ as my personal Savior this morning. Nice and high. I want to pray for you too. God bless you. You can put your hand down. Anyone else this morning? I'm trusting Jesus as my Savior. Well, this is wonderful. Anyone else? I don't want to miss anyone. Nice and high. I'll see it in you. Father, I'm so thankful for those this morning that are saying yes to you. And if that was you this morning, how about let's pray a prayer silently together. In thanksgiving, I'll say the prayer, you can pray it silently. The prayer is not what takes you to heaven. Your faith that you just put in Jesus does. Would you pray silently with me at the prayer of thanksgiving like this? Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. But this very moment, I place my faith and trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Thank you for saving me and promising to take me to heaven when I die. Father, thank you for these dear folks. I pray that you'd help us to walk out of here rejoicing and thankful for what you've done because Jesus is risen just as he said and all God's people said. Let's stand together one more time as we conclude. Just singing one verse, this precious song, He Lives. It is on 268 in your hymn book. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living, whatever man may say. I see His hand of mercy. I hear His voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I What a great morning of celebration. God bless you. Have a happy